the challenge of being a parent or a step-parent of an adult child is that we lose all control. And that is a huge adjustment for we as parents or step-parent to adjust to. So our job at that transition time was just to keep loving them. everyone. I'm Denise Gorin. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining us as we speak with experts, authors, parents, and even young adults to explore the transition from parenting our young children to building healthy relationships with our now adults. Hopefully we'll grow together, learn about ourselves, our young adults, and of course, when to bite our tongues. We are so happy you're with us. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. It's really hard to believe that this is our 37th episode. When Ellen and I started this during COVID, we just weren't sure where it would go. But here we are, and the topic keeps garnering more and more attention. Now, Ellen's been out of the loop a bit, but her new book, Bright Kids Who Couldn't Care Less, will be out shortly. And guess what? The foreword is written by Cheryl Sandberg. We're going to take the time to do a full episode on the book as we've had quite a bit of interest in adult children who don't launch and probably are pretty bright and couldn't care less. So Ellen will have a lot of insight. This will be a good one, I'm sure. So stay tuned and we'll be certain to let you know when the book is available. Today, though, we're focusing on parenting adult stepchildren. This is actually a listener request, but we had problems finding a good source. But today we're welcoming Nancy Landrum, the author of the book, Stepping Together. That's together, T-W-O-G-E-T-H-E-R. As both a professional parenting coach and one who has lived this experience, Nancy shares with us some very personal stories about herself and others she's worked with. She says towards the end, I think being a step-parent is one of the hardest jobs in the world, but it's also one of the biggest challenges to personal growth. And through her stories, you'll learn why she says that. We address the complications that grow as children become adults in step-parenting situations. We also address if you remarry late in life, and now you're the new step-parent to an adult children. We're going to talk about all of this and much more. But I also took some time to speak with young adults throughout the U.S. on their experiences being stepchildren and step-parents. So this is a full episode. And let me just say, if you're not a step-parent, I wouldn't advise you to skip the episode. So much of what Nancy says applies to all of us. There is so much information that I took away. But what I realized more and more is that all of this takes a lot of work and sacrifice, which I guess is true for all forms of parenting. We just thought we'd be done when they turned 18. I guess not. So welcome, Nancy Landrum. Thank you. It's such a privilege to be with you, Denise. Do you want to share us a bit about your journey first and how you got to be such an expert in the step parenting area? Well, my husband, my late husband and I were both widowed, found each other when I was in my late 30s. He was in his early 40s. I had two children who were two boys who were 13 and 15 at the time we married. His children, his oldest daughter had already married, was out of the home. But there was a 17-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son of his. 
and we were very naive. We just assumed we were adults. We'd been through a lot. We could handle anything. But we were blindsided by the very unique challenges of step-family dynamics. We wanted, we agreed to keep single parenting our teenage children. We didn't know at the time how smart that was. Uh, decided that teenagers were not a good time to introduce another parental authority figure. But we wanted to co-parent his eight-year-old son. And that's where the problems began. We had very different ideas about parenting which I've learned since is a very common problem with many step families. So Nancy, that's interesting because you both were widowed. So your kids were also dealing with the loss of a parent. So you had some other psychological things on top of them also getting a new parent, right? Right. It was like there were ghosts living in the house. Right, exactly. Former wife, the mother of his children, my former husband, the father of my two boys. And, and even after dating or courtship, or I don't know how long you went out, you didn't get a sense of each other's parenting style at all? No, and I think that was part of our naivete. We just assumed, like many couples do in a second or even a third marriage, that because we were so excited to have found each other, we were so much in love, we just made the gigantic assumption that we could handle whatever came up. We had no really concept of how different our parenting styles were until after we were all under the same roof. Interesting. So I did get your book, thank you very much, Stepping Together, T-W-O. And one of the things that first bounced out at me is the use of terminology. You use the word step family rather than the newer, more politically correct word, blended family. Why is that, Nancy? Well, I just kind of laugh every time I hear blended family because it's not like we're all thrown into a blender together. We turn it on and we come out this sweet, frothy mix, you know, that's delightful. <laughs> it just very, right. very few step families have that experience. So I just stick with the old fashioned step family, which the meaning comes from, in the past, it was primarily parents, a parent who died in previous centuries. And when the surviving spouse remarried, the new spouse stepped into the place of the former spouse. That's where the term came from, step-parent. Yeah, I think Cinderella did a number on step-parents, though. That was the problem with that word. Do you know what I mean? Yes. People hear it as the wicked stepmother or whatever it is. All right. So I want to get to our audience is mainly parents with adult children. And the the listener's situation is that she has been a stepmother to this, uh, I think it's a daughter, for many years. And now the daughter's in college becoming an adult. And she feels like things have really changed. And she's concerned about what her role really is now. You have a whole chapter on parenting an adult child. And now that children are becoming adults, how does the role change now? The bio parent is still alive. So you've got the bio parent, you have the father, the bio father, and you have the stepmother. And they've been really close, but now, you know, kids step out of line. There's disciplinary kinds of things. Uh, some kids are late to launch, you know, all that sort of thing. What role does that stepmother play and how can she make it? more emotionally strong role? I think this the role of the step-parent from the beginning needs to be a supportive role so that the, the step-parent supports the bio-parents in parenting their child. 
the moment the step parent tries to be an authority figure or to administer discipline for a stepchild, you're stepping into the realm that belongs to the bio parents. And the interesting thing is that the more the step parent supports the relationship and the parenting of the bio parents, the more they will be accepted by the child, the stepchild. The safer the stepchild feels to accept the step parent as a, I don't know, a kind aunt or uncle, a, a friend of the family. But as soon as the step parent tries to be a parent in the in the sense of a nuclear family parent, there's going to be difficulties. And you have to remember that this child that you're describing going off to college is flexing her wings anyway, you know, right. trying to move into an adult world as an adult. So she may be kind of kicking against the traces of any kind of parenting. I found that when my children were moving into adulthood, we went through a few rough years there where it seemed to me, my perception was they didn't want much to do with me. With you or also their father? Well, their father in my case was... No, I mean their stepfather. Sorry. Yeah, I mean their stepfather. It wasn't true with their stepfather as much, although there was a definite shift in the relationship between my husband and his biological children as they became adults. Hence our podcast. (laughs) Yes, right. Right. Well, you know, the the challenge of being a parent or a step-parent of an adult child is that we lose all control. Right, And that is a huge adjustment for we as parents or step-parent to adjust to that, and often as it was the case in our relationship with our children and stepchildren, they made choices that we didn't approve of. We wish they didn't. They, you know, some choices we thought you're really going to regret this, but they weren't really open to our advice and they needed to learn from their own experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So our job at that transition time was just to keep loving them. I remember in one case, Jim's daughter married someone that we weren't real happy about her marrying. And Jim was so unhappy with his daughter that he just kind of blocked her out of his mind. And I occasionally would remind him, hey, let's go take her and her husband out to dinner this week, or let's do something to maintain connection with them. And he appreciated my reminder to maintain connection with his daughter. Over the years, it turned out beautifully. Those two are still married. They've done a wonderful job of raising their two children. But there were a few years in there that were difficult to navigate. Yeah, those years are hard to get by. I guess I sort of see the situation where you say, leave the parenting to the bio parent. And even in a case where the step parent doesn't have any children, so the stepchild is their only child. I think I, I mentioned to you something like this in some information I sent earlier. I can't even imagine having a situation where I'm the step parent, I don't have any bio children of my own, and I'm really disappointed in the way my 
husband is parenting this child, for example. So I'd like to sort of take a situation where, you know, Sally's been a great kid. Suddenly she's becoming an adult. She's left for college and making all the wrong choices from could even be drugs, alcohol, career decisions, dropping out of college, not launching, uh, coming back to the house and, and sleeping in the basement and playing video games, whatever it might be. And this is your space too, but you don't have a role. That is incredibly hard. And that's why one of the exercises in my book is called House Rules. And that's where the parent and the step parent as adults in the household agree on a certain number of hopefully a minimal number of house rules that everyone in the family lives by. And that's where the step parent has some authority. Because the step parent has to be able to say, for instance, it's not acceptable to me. It's one of my no deal things for anyone to leave dirty dishes scattered all over the house. Everyone who dirties the dish needs to rinse it and put it in the dishwasher. That can become a house rule that both the parent and the step parent agree will be enforced. But I'm thinking of two different situations where the step parent, the stepmother, in the case of the stepdaughter, was thought she was adult enough to move across the country with her boyfriend, but wanted her dad to keep paying her cell phone bill and her insurance. Right. That's very typical. Yes. And the stepmom was very upset about that. And to begin with, she got in the middle of it and without the approval of her husband, canceled the daughter on the insurance and the cell phone bill. And the husband then, it became a marriage issue, not just a parenting issue, because he was very upset about her usurping his authority and making a decision that he wasn't emotionally ready to make. So I I had several appointments with the husband. And what was driving him was this 21-year-old girl kept accusing him of not loving her or being a bad father because he wouldn't continue to work her financially. Or he could, she could have put guilt on him for just either divorcing her mother or putting her in a situation of being a stepchild. There's a lot of guilt yeah. associated with that, too. Well, in this case, the mother had died. And okay. the, I think the girl was maybe 12 years old when her mom died. And there's Mm -hmm. naturally a time of grieving and loss and all of that, but she was milking it for all it was worth 10 years later. So I worked with the dad and I said, you have to define what a loving parent is. And in my mind, a loving parent is one who prepares the child for adult responsibilities by gradually insisting at age-appropriate times to hand responsibility for certain decisions over to the child. That I said, in this case, your 21-year-old has quit college. She thinks she's adult enough to move in with a boyfriend across the country. Then she must be adult enough to carry her own cell phone bill and and insurance. Mm -hmm. I worked with the dad and helped him identify the, the guilt strings that his stepdaughter had gotten so good at plucking. Uh, He gradually saw the wisdom of that. It took about three months, I think, but he finally set a deadline for his daughter and said, at this date, I will be taking you off our cell phone account and 
the insurance. So you've got three months. Either decide you can live without them or figure out how you're going to pay for them yourself. And she did. And now, you know, a year later, their their relationship is back on good terms. And the relationship with his wife has also been healed. Well, that seems to me, I mean, this is no different than uh, two bio parents and their adult children learning when not to enable, when to stop, when to, you know, help them become adults. The thing that seems different here is what happens between the married couple. And I think you say this in your book too, that there's higher rate of divorce among um, step parents or second marriages, I guess. So I'd love to talk about some of those triggers and step parenting or triggers and how they differ and what are some of the ones listeners should be aware of as the children become adults? Okay. Well, again, if the step parent is trying to be a quote unquote real parent and stepping it into a role of authority as a real parent without the cooperation of the bio parent, then you're you're setting up a relationship triangle that's not going to work because the bio parent gets stuck in the middle between the bio child and his or her spouse and is in this constant tug of war of who do I please, who do I listen to, who's got the right idea here. It's a no-win situation for everyone. So even in my case with my late husband, Jim, there were parenting decisions that I didn't agree with that I thought were really not in the best interests of his young son. But in order to preserve the marriage, I had to basically step out of a parenting role, even though there wasn't another bioparent involved. Jim and I had such different opinions about the way Jimmy should be parented that it was causing a great deal of conflict between the two of us. And of course, Jimmy did what any self kid would do. He be- learned how to play us against each other. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. wasn't his fault. It was our fault because we weren't unified in what we were agreeing to do. So it sounds like there's a lot of talk behind the bedroom door before the child is approached at any age. Absolutely. And I'm thinking of another couple that I worked with that were in their 50s. Uh, She had never had children. And the bio mother was long-term committed to a mental institution long-term. There was no chance she would ever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. come out of that. And the husband had finally divorced her. But he had two daughters that had been the oh, the center of his life for several years before he married his current wife. And he wanted them to have a good relationship with his new wife. And the more he pushed his kid to have a connection with his current wife, the more they resisted and fought back and got nasty. And um, and I only had one evening with the couple, but I and the, the children lived in Texas. He was in California. He wanted to schedule a trip for he and his new wife to visit the two daughters to build connection with their stepmom. And I said, no, not now. What they really want is to be reassured that they're still important to you, that the stepmom hasn't replaced them in your heart. So go by yourself, spend some very special one-on-one time with each of your daughters, stop trying to push this new relationship on them, let it develop more organically. 
and it took all the pressure off of him. It took the pressure off the marriage. It took the pressure off the two daughters. It sure takes a strong spouse to be able to say that because I really, the other thing I can see in where you say, let the other parent do the parenting. Is there any finger pointing as, you know, the husband doesn't want to do X, Y, or Z. You don't think he's being strict enough with his son or whatever. Now the son's 16 and he's a disaster. How does the the stepmom bite her tongue and say, I told you way back when to be more involved in this or not let him do this or blah, blah, blah. You really just have to bite your tongue if you want your relationship to survive. That's why I love the name of your podcast. (laughs) Because yes, the step parent has to bite his or her tongue over and over and over again. I was very careful never to say I told you so when... Gosh, that would be so hard. Well, it was less hard because I also had a son that jumped off the rails during his teenage years. So it wasn't like I was the perfect parent that right, right. my way. We kind of laughed and said, it's a good thing we each had a difficult child. Right. Because you wonder if the one really has a difficult child in your, and, and some of it isn't the parenting or whatever, it's the makeup of the right. kid. Exactly. Now let's take a quick break for some thoughts from adult children on how to be a better step parent. I am an adult child with step parent, and she has been my stepmom basically since I was six. She and my father divorced when I was 19, but I, uh, you know, she raised me. My stepmom, I probably talked to her, you know, I don't know, she lives in the town that I live in, so we probably talk or text, you know, at least once a week, uh, get together for lunch maybe like once a month. We'll have dinner at her house sometimes, or, you know, she's come over to our house too. And sometimes she watches my daughter as well. Sometimes I feel like in the past, her relationship has very much been like, she offers to help me, but it always involves, there's always something right in the end. It's like, she offers to help, but she wants something in return. And so, It's my, you know, I feel like having boundaries so that I'm clear on, you know, what she might want or what, um, what I feel like I could give. Right. So that's been, that's been important for me. Yeah. Um, I think from either perspective, you can't force a relationship that the other person like doesn't want. Um, so with that, um, if you're if you kind of have the dynamics where you could like have that discussion of like what like what role do you want me to have in your life like ideally or like do you not care type thing um because every person's family is very different dynamics like I'm sure there's other people in my situation that have come in and been like yeah let's be best friends let's you know let's hang out and whatever and that works for them but like yeah I think you do just kind of have to ask and then not not force what relationship you want it to be. I mean, I, I think a lot of times people get caught up in this kind of, oh, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place with like whether I'm a parent or a friend um, and how to balance that. But I would say the best thing you can do is just think of yourself as another loving and supporting adult in that person's life. 
Um, I know so many people, like friends my age, who have biological parents who they desperately wish would act more like a parent to them, or they're completely estranged from their parent, or they're actually closer to their step-parent and they don't really get along with their biological parent. So every single you know, family has unique dynamics and personalities and situations. And um, I think a key takeaway is really to just um, like have open discussion about it. Don't be afraid to ask your stepchild, you know, what do you need from me? Or, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think so much of it, it's kind of just like a sensitive dance, you know, where you kind of have to feel the other person out and 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 understand what it is that you're stepping into, not try to overly insert yourself, but also not try to back off too much. Um, you know, I think the step parent can play such a beautiful role because you sort of have this inside and outside perspective. Okay, now back to Nancy Landrum. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about too, and actually you bring this up in your book, there's two things that are on my mind right now. When they're adults, and even as adults and children, the parent remarries, the kids become very petty about a lot of things. What are some of those things and how can the parents deal with that? Like they, again, like you said, they think their dad doesn't love them anymore. Their mother doesn't love them anymore. They're not the priority. They don't have enough time for them. What are some of the strategies to help that alleviate itself? I made a pretty classic mistake that I thought that my relationship with my two boys was very secure, that it didn't need a lot of extra attention. So I focused all my attention on building relationship with my new husband and with his three children. And what I found out later was that both of my boys felt totally abandoned by me, which, you know, wasn't my intention at all. What I wish I had been more aware of was that they needed reassurance from me more than ever because this was such a gigantic transition in their lives. We had been a family of three ever since their dad died 13 years before. I mean, they were just babies when their dad died, and it was me and the boys against the world. And it was such a huge transition, and I was so unconscious of their need for more of my attention or, you know, just take each of them out on a date regularly and spend alone time with them or, you know, do something fun just with them. It took several years into their 20s before the damage that was done during those early years of my marriage to Jim was healed, before the relationships with my sons were healed. So it sounds like you're saying one of the most important things is not to forget, even though you've merged into a new family, your children still identify with their uh, biological family and don't lose that. I remember Jim was a beautiful baritone vocalist. Jim's your husband and also the young son, right? I'll I'll call the son Jimmy. The adult Jim was invited to sing the national anthem at a Laker game. And I asked Jim, how important is it for you that I be go with you to the Laker game because he was given four free tickets. And he said, it's not that important. You know, I'd heard him sing dozens of times. Mm -hmm. So I said, why don't you take three people who would really enjoy being at a Laker game? And that night I called my son Stephen and said, can I take you out to dinner? 
Mm-hmm. And he said, isn't Jim singing at the Laker game tonight? And I said, yes. And he said, you mean you'd rather be with me than go with him? Well, all I said was, you know, for tonight, it I'd much rather be with you than go to a noisy Laker mm-hmm. game. And we had a wonderful evening together, and he just soaked up my one-on-one attention to him. And it was one of those times when I recognized how my mistaken attitude when I married Jim had left such a wound in both Stephen and in Peter that took quite a long time to recover from. The other thing I want to ask about is juggling parental groups. Again, your situation's different because both spouses had deceased, but I still remember getting married and now I had two sets of parents. You know, I I felt, I don't want to say an obligation, but you know, where to go on Christmas, where to go on uh, Thanksgiving, you know, that sort of thing. Now you might have four and that's a lot of demands on your time and your life. How do you juggle all of this and make everyone happy? can't make everyone happy. Let's just start with that premise. Okay. It's impossible to make everybody happy. Uh, There's actually a section in the book about handling holidays, birthdays, and so forth, how to juggle those things and maybe change some of the rules that we live by to be more broad so that Christmas might last from the 20th to the 30th of December. Well, I'm thinking of another family, step family, where the stepmom was so gracious when she planned a birthday party for one of her stepchildren, she would invite the biological mother to come to the party. And it was awkward to begin with, but gradually it became more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And her stepchildren expressed so much appreciation to her for including their mother at holiday gatherings like that. She tells a story that is repeated in the Stepping Together book about one of the sons getting married in Florida, and someone had rented a large condo for all the California people to stay in. So she was actually sharing a condo and sharing (laughs) with the biological mother of this stepchild who was getting married. Her name was Wendy, the stepmom. Wendy said I had to keep repeating over and over to myself, it's all about the children. It's all about giving them a good wedding day without a lot of drama. It's not about me. And she has just done a magnificent job of navigating that very difficult emotional territory, uh, sharing her stepchildren with their biological mother and letting go of her ego need to have her own needs met first. Sometimes it just has to be about the children. Very interesting. I mean, I think that's true. It takes a very strong person. I want to ask one more question, and then I really want to get into money, because that's something that a lot of people have asked me about. I read a lot of things on the do's and don'ts of step parenting, and one is to never talk about the other parent. Don't you know talk poorly about either of the parents. Right. And I right. just wonder, you know, you talk about biting your tongue and all this. How do you develop an authentic relationship with your stepchild without expressing your real feelings? I still have real feelings about their biological mother and about the parenting of their biological dad. But that isn't business that I discuss with my ch- stepchildren at all. Okay, It's between me and my 
it was between me and my husband. The opinion about his former wife was not even his business. It was just, you know, my perception of some things that happened before she passed away. So you don't want to ever want to involve children in even your opinion about their their biological parents. It's you're you're basically if you do that, you're asking them to make a choice. Make a choice as far as who's good, who's bad, who's right, who's wrong. That isn't a choice that should ever be in their hand. When the house rules are in place and the adult stepchild uh, doesn't clean up the dishes or is sitting in the basement playing video games and it's on the house rules that they're not allowed, can the step-parent then say, remember the house rules? Or does the bio-parent have to say that to the kid who's overstepping the house rules? The interesting thing about the house rules exercise is once the parent and the step-parent agree on the house rules and they agree on the consequences if those house rules are broken, then either adult can enforce the house rules. Okay, that makes me feel better because I would have a hard time watching this happen and not be able to say anything. Right. So the house rules seem to be really a very valuable tool. Oh, they, they are key. And it's interesting that exercise has been so helpful with the nuclear family when there's two parents that need some help knowing how to parent their own children, you know, their biological children. That house rules exercise has come in handy for many of my coaching clients, not just step families, but it's essential in a step family. Right. May I just make one other comment? Yes, before please we interrupt me that? at any time. Yes. Thank you, Denise. <laughs> um, there's a very common communication technique that is used in our culture that is so disrespectful, and that's giving advice when you haven't been given permission to give advice. Mm -hmm. And whenever, for instance, the step-parent, in our case with Jim and I, I had to ask permission. If I saw something going on with Jimmy that I thought needed to be brought to Jim's attention, I learned to say to Jim, are you open to my suggestion about this situation? And if Jim said no, I bit my tongue. Oh, gosh. Because if he said no, he's not going to hear it anyway. But frequently he would say yes. I'd you know, give him my suggestion briefly and then drop it. It was up to him whether he followed through or not. One of the freedoms of being a step-parent is that I am not ultimately responsible for how this kid turns out. But you love the kid, so you care. I care. But caring doesn't give me the right to give advice when I don't have permission or to step in between the biological parents and the biological kid in an authority role. How does that work out when it's the stepmother that is the stay-at-home mom basically taking care of all the kids? Dad's not home, but all the stepkids are together. Well, that's where the house rules come in. Yep. <laughs> and, and anything outside of the house rules then needs to be handed over to him when he gets home. Mm -hmm. My other quick question before I get to finance is, okay, your parents have been divorced, so you have a bio mom, a bio dad, and your bio mom is getting remarried or your bio dad's getting remarried and you're meeting the step-parent, the intended step-parent for the first time. What advice do you have for that step-parent that's being introduced to the adult children for the first time? I would advise that step-parent to immediately say, I love your dad 
but I'm not your mother. You mm -hmm. already have a mother, and I will not try to be your mother. You have a great mother. Mm -hmm. If it's possible, I'd like to be your friend. I'll leave that up to you. It's up to you whether we become friends or not. Very nice. All right, let's get to money. And there's so many different areas of this. And the only one that I've really been exposed to through people talking to me and such is the parents have been married for 36 years. They each have three children. Most of the marriage... And the kids were, I think, maybe, let's say, in college or late high school when they were married. I think most were pretty much on their own. Someone dies. How should should this have been talked out about before with the kids? You know, I've heard that you should set up these irrevocable trusts so that the parent left can't change anything. But how do you approach this? You know, they're worried you own several rental properties. Who does, is that all going to go to? Do I get my dad's stuff? Do I get my mom's stuff? Whose house is it? All of that kind of stuff. And now one more break as we hear from some adult stepchildren on how they feel about inheritance and were their parents prepared? It was, you know, again, it wasn't one of those things my dad talked about very much before before he passed. I mean, like years before. He had said, oh, well, you know, we've we've redone the will. And basically, he's like, if I die first, and he, he was older than my stepmom, so, I mean, it was assumed he would. But he said, you know, if I die first, then everything goes to her. And then when she dies, it gets split evenly between my dad's children and her children. And so I said, okay. When he died, she, you know, had all of his things. And she was kind of like, I'm keeping all of it. And I'm like, you know, some of these things existed for so long before you ever knew him. It was, it was difficult. Like I, you know, I have a different relationship with stuff. So it was kind of like, okay. I mean, it hurt and it was unfortunate, but I could understand that it was her pain, but it was, it was really difficult. So yeah, I basically walked away with a belt buckle that my dad always wore and like a, a shirt, like literally. Um, I mean, being in the army, I know that they had to like make wills to like go anywhere. So I, I feel like he would ensure that we definitely get our share for sure so i'm sure he has the foresight for that because um actually my my stepmom her parents both passed away in this past year and her and her sister and their families are it's like this huge battle of everyone wants more than what the other person is getting I would have liked it if we had had more open communication about it. It was like this really awkward setting. You know, I think he told me about it like at a family holiday gathering at her kid's house. And he's like, hey, I want to come come outside. I want to tell you something. And so he started telling me this. And then she came out and she's like, not now. And then like, like that was it. Like the conversation never came back. So, you know, I would have appreciated... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that he told me anything, but I think that just having open dialogue and it's just really important. And then, you know, then I could have said like, wow, well, I really would love to have this thing of yours or what are you going, you know, like if that's okay, right? Like some families can't talk on that level, but I, I think it's really important. Back to Nancy. Well, part of being a loving parent is setting up a will and trust long before they're necessary. Mm -hmm. So that the family doesn't get divided over what it, you know, however the assets are divided at the death of one or the other. I was so fortunate that Jim and I did that shortly after we were married. 
shortly so, after you were married. Did you sit down and discuss that with the children as they became adults so they knew what was in motion? They, As they became adults, they all got copies of our wills and our trust. Interesting. So they knew exactly what to expect when either one of us died. And I think that's one of the most loving things you can do for children and stepchildren. So if they have any concerns about the way it's divided up, you can talk about it before it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And have both parents there so they can get questions answered by their bio parent and that sort of thing. Well, you know, I gave my uh, my younger son a three-ring notebook with photographs of everything in the house that has any value at all. And my instructions were that when, because Jim has already passed, I told my son, I gave him written instructions that after I pass, I want he and his children to take anything of mine that is of value to them. But I also want Terry, Karen, and Jimmy to have access to anything that it connects them to their father, you know, including any furniture, any, I don't know, anything you know, that any of the kids or grandkids want that give them, you know, give them some kind of emotional connection to me or to Jim. And I said, after that, just call Goodwill and have them take the rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a loving way. And so many people just don't want to deal with their death early. I had such a great example with my first in-laws, the the parents of my first husband, Mm -hmm. because they were so open about all of their finances. It was discussed around the dinner table, and they involved their two boys in what was going on with them financially. It was so such a breath of fresh air to me, Mm -hmm. because in my family of origin, if I ask any questions, I was treated like I was butting into business that I had no business my father just seemed to take personally and was so offended if I asked any questions that it was such a breath of fresh air to have that openness demonstrated for me in my first marriage. So that I determined very young that when the time came, that's the attitude I was going to have. I recently set up a contract to have my body cremated, and I checked with my son first and said, do you have any need to have me in a burial plot that you can visit? I said, if that's important to you, that's what I'll arrange. Mm -hmm. But if it's not important to you, I'd rather be cremated. He said it wasn't important. So I took care of it and gave him the card of the person to call if I happen to pass away. He'll know how to take care of things. And just your son, you haven't discussed this with your stepchildren. I did. I told them about it. They think I'm an open book and they love it that way. That's what I like. Right, right, right. And you happen to like them. I think the the situation that could be harder is if you haven't had a great relationship with your stepchildren all these years. You know, if you didn't have the house rules, if it just wasn't a great relationship and then father dies and you're with these three girls or boys or whatever it is that you didn't have the good relationship with. So really thing I'm hearing here that is most important is before you're at a stage of life early on, sit down with all of the children, your bio and your stepchildren together with the spouse and discuss what your plans are. Yes. I was very fortunate, Denise, that when Jim and I were in the worst of our marriage, where there was a lot of conflict, 
the family was divided down the middle. Of course, his his children were on his side. My children were on mine. And we got our marriage straightened out, but it took a couple more years for the relationships between me and his children and my children and Jim to heal from that fracture. We all worked very hard at forgiving and healing and moving past. I'm so fortunate that they were willing to do that. And did you openly talk about that with them? Like, how did you take those steps? Or do you think you were the guide for it and you were biting your tongue and being supportive and they saw that and also tried? I remember making a date with each of Jim's daughters. They were adults. They had families of their own. But I remember making a date with each of them separately to talk about my perception of what went wrong with our marriage and assume my responsibility in the difficulties that we went through and ask their forgiveness Oh my goodness! for how deeply that had hurt them, affected them. And I was just so blessed that they have, you know, they were willing to do their own forgiveness work right. and move forward in relationship with me. Gosh, that's and, so wonderful. And, you know, Jimmy to this day calls me mom and sends me texts about jobs he's done that he's very proud of. And I'm just very, very blessed. But yes, I have done a lot of work and they have done their work. Yeah, yes. I don't want you to say you're just blessed. You're blessed at the outcome, <laughs> but the work it took to get there is what's important. I have done a lot of work. That's right. It sounds that way. Is there anything that we have not talked about, Nancy, that I've missed before we go on to our closing? The importance of maintaining the marriage. If the marriage fails in a step family, then the step family falls apart. So the importance of learning good communication skills, maintaining a regular date with your spouse, doing the things that will keep the marriage healthy and nurtured is essential because step families, well, a rule of thumb is a step family usually doesn't really coalesce or bond for a, about six or seven years. It takes a long time. It's six a, or seven years. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, so to have realistic expectations about how long this is going to require your full attention is very important. But don't forget the marriage in the okay. midst of taking care of, don't forget, you know, in the midst of trying to take care of your children's needs, don't forget the marriage. So now as we close, are there any two things that you want to leave beyond that or one thing beyond that that you hope our listeners remember? I think being a step parent is one of the hardest jobs in the world. And it is also one of the biggest challenges to personal growth. I had to assume a role that caused me to grow in higher consciousness because of the stress of being a step-parent. The growth that occurred in me because of the stress of being a step-parent, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world, but it was hell going through. It was not easy. It was very hard. Nancy, this was so wonderful. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me. And Nancy's the author of Stepping Together, T-W-O-G-E-T-H-E-R, Building a Strong Step Family. Nancy, do you do any personal counseling if people need that or would like to talk to you? I do. I have a pretty active coaching business, and they can reach me on my website, 
nancylandrum.com. They just go to the contact page. They can email me from there. Okay, perfect. Nancy, thank you so much. Congratulations to you for all your hard work. I mean, I think everything you said relates not only to step parenting, it's just a little bit more challenging with step parenting, but also parenting our adult children. So thank you again. You're so very welcome. I'm so glad to have the opportunity. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Nancy. I hope this answers many of our listeners' questions about step parenting adult children. The strength it must take to bite your tongue as a step parent is even greater than a bio parent, it seems to me. And listeners, if you're a step parent, please take Nancy's advice regarding your wills and trusts. Talk about it now all together. It will save so much pain later on. Visit Nancy's website at nancylandrum.com. Learn more about her coaching and her books. Her transformational relationship skills are a must for just about everyone. Thank you again to Connie Gorant Fisher, our audio engineer, and to all of you, our listeners. I have to remind you one more time to support our podcast. Follow us on social media, add us to your podcast library, and give us a review. And also visit our website, biteyourtonguepodcast.com. Click on support in the upper right-hand corner and select an easy way for you to support us. We'll really appreciate it. Lots more great episodes coming up. But in the meantime, remember, sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.